Welcome to the Sourcing Hero podcast produced by Una, a group purchasing organization that empowers sourcing heroes and Art of Procurement, the world's largest procurement podcast network. I'm your host, Kelly Barner. The goal of the Sourcing Hero podcast is to capture the epic stories of people who are rising up and beating the odds to create exceptional value within procurement directly from those heroes themselves. Today, my guest here on the Sourcing Hero podcast is Oakland McCullough. Oak is a retired lieutenant colonel in the U.S. Army, and he now shares his experiences with leadership, vision, and discipline with live audiences and through keynote speeches, as well as his book, Your Leadership Legacy, Becoming the Leader You Were Meant to Be. So, hi, Oak. Thank you so much for being with me here on the Sourcing Hero podcast. Yeah, well, I appreciate you having me on the show, Kelly. I really do. I've been looking forward to it. Now, I shared a little bit about what you do and how you connect with people in my intro, but what should we know about your background? Put everything that we're going to talk about today into context. Yeah, so I've, I've uh, been a leader of some sort for about 40 years, just over 40 years, and, and that's in the military, obviously. I've had lots of leadership experience in the military, and to include during Desert Shield, Desert Storm, Bosnia, Kosovo, couple hurricane relief operations. So in adverse uh, environments. Mm -hmm. And then uh, then when I retired, I I was a leader in a food bank, a nonprofit food bank uh, that covered 52 counties along the uh, Gulf Coast from Mississippi to the panhandle of Florida. And just happened that I took over the day-to-day operations about three weeks before the BP oil spill. So oh, it was a little busy Do you down consider there that, that good point. timing or bad timing? It was, well, it was good timing <laughs> because I could help people. That's right. I, and that's, that's my passion is to help people. Uh, but I was a very busy man. I am sure <laughs> that's you okay. were. That's okay. Uh, and then now I'm a, a government service officer, so I've got a leadership in government uh, jobs as well. So a variety of background. Now, we're going to talk a lot about leadership today, and this is one of those words that gets flipped around all over the place, put on lovely-looking presentations, but I think it's a good place to start by pausing and thinking about what makes a good leader. So from your perspective, what does it mean to be a good leader? So uh, first of all, I think, in my opinion, and the best leaders that I've worked for were servant leaders. So they understood that it wasn't about them mm. and it all about them. And I always get it when I say that people always say, well, how can it be not about me and all about me? And I say, well, it's not about you in the title you get or the privileges you get or that you get better pay and live in a nicer house, get to drive a nicer car. And let's face it, leaders get those kinds of things. And that's OK, as long as that's not the reason, the only reason you want to be the leader. It's all about you and how you treat the people in your organization. Mm-hmm and how you run your organization. Uh, so I think that's the first thing that, that we, that I think sets good leaders apart. The second thing is taking care of people and taking care of people doesn't always mean you do exactly what they want. Sometimes you got to make people do things that's in their best interest, even if they don't think it is at that point, because it is in their best interest, the training, the, the, uh, other things that, that you might have to have them do to prepare them for their job and their future that they may not want to do at that point in their life. And the last piece of it is trust. 
I think leader, good leaders build trust, not only between them and the people they lead, they have the privilege to lead, because um, that's absolutely vital. You, without trust, you can't have the led leader relationship, mm-hmm. at least not a good one, but also trust within their organization between people that are working together. You know, and Vince Lombardi said it best. He said, a team is not a group of people who play together. A team is a group of people who trust each other. And that is so vital. And I think good leaders understand that and they build that trust. Now, we joked a little bit when you took over the food bank three weeks before the BP oil spill. Was this good timing? Was this bad timing? You said it was great because it was an exceptional opportunity to help people. But that actually ties into your key philosophy, which is that leadership is truly a privilege. Can you talk a little bit about what that means to you and why you think that is? Yeah, I think I think it is a privilege, first of all, because as a leader, you have the potential to impact people's lives every single day, both at work and in the home environment. Um, and I think that, you know, that's something that you got to take take seriously, that responsibility that you do that. And and, you know, I tell all these junior leaders that I talk to, you're going to make a difference in people's lives if you're a leader, period, good or bad. So why not make a conscious decision mm-hmm. to make a good, positive difference in people's lives instead of just making a difference? Now, we've all been through a lot of changes over the last few years and certainly yeah, in our I'm personal all- lives. Seriously, talk about an understatement. Uh, Our personal lives have been turned upside down. uh, And from a corporate standpoint, a lot of the audience that listens to this show is in either procurement or supply chain. And so not only have they gone through a ton of change at home, they've also gone through huge upheaval at work. What additional advice or guidance would you offer up to someone in a leadership position, specifically during a time of change? Yeah, so I think that's a and, and change is constant. I mean, we've certainly had more here in the last couple of years than we generally do, but change is not anything new and, and it's not going to go away. I mean, that is, you know, the old saying, the only thing constant is change. Yes. Uh, and I, I believe that. So I think a couple of things that you got to be able to do. I think one of the mistakes that leaders make is that they figure out what they want to do and they tell the people what they want to do instead of involving their people in the planning process, not just the execution, because they have to execute it. Leaders don't execute the change. Uh, it's the people who work for you who do. So they have to understand what the change is going to be. But I think if you involve them in the planning process and the decision-making process, then they're a little more likely to accept that change. Because here's the problem. We're all creatures of habit. I don't care. And anybody who tells you they're not is lying to you. Okay, we all do think we all like to do things the same way because it's comfortable. And if and if to get them to break those habits, you got to convince them or include them in the planning so that they understand that it is in the best interest of the of the company, of them um, to, to maintain the viability of that company moving forward. Now. You draw on your military experience, your military background in terms of how you teach and coach up other leaders to handle different situations. And one of the things that I assume, and you're more than welcome to disagree with me, but that two of the key things you get from that background are discipline 
and an ability to make really tough skills. So I guess this is a two-part question. Am I right that those are the two big things that you would say from a leadership standpoint come from your military experience? And how can people without a military experience strengthen those same skills in themselves? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think it, think they absolutely can. And you look around and there are certainly people who never had military experience who are very strong in, the, in discipline and decision-making process. And I think one of the things that I always tell people, and I kind of, I made sure my children understood it. And, you know, I hope to pass it on to my grandchildren as well. And I hope they do too, is I'm a firm believer in routines inside of routines. So to build that discipline, start with doing the, the same thing the same way every single time you do it, because your mind is a muscle and, you know, the muscle memory will default to whatever it is that you have been doing. So, you know, like when I start my day, I start, I, I, well, first of all, I end my day every single way, every, the same way every single day. When I leave the office, before I leave, I write down on a three by five card, the four or five things that I got to do tomorrow. So that when I come into the office the next day, I don't have to start from scratch. I already have at least a plan. Now, that plan doesn't always come to fruition because, you know, the boss walks in and says, oh, I know you got something else planned, but this has got to be done. So, but at least you got something to go off of. And then I end my personal day at, before I go to bed, I, I, I try to read at least 10 pages of, my, of the book that I'm reading. And I write in my journal, I keep a journal, and I think that's important because then that helps me reflect on that day. What did I do? What didn't I do? How can I do things better? Um, and, and I think that's important as a leader to build discipline is to reflect on what you've done. And then the decision-making piece is, I think, a, a mistake that a lot of people, leaders make is they try to do it all themselves. And I don't care how long you've been the leader in whatever profession you're in, you don't have all the answers. I always tell them, trust your experts. You trained them, right. trust them. And one of the ways I always like to do it is when when I have a problem or I have uh, a decision to make, I call my junior leaders together and I say, okay, here's what we got to solve or this is the thing we got to do. Give me some ideas and let them throw ideas out to you. You're the leader. You're under no obligation to do any of their ideas. But generally what I figured out was I'll take a little bit of his ideas and a little bit of her ideas and then throw in some of my ideas and now we got the solution. And here's what happens when you do that. It's no longer Oak McCullough's solution. Uh -huh. It's our solution. Now they got some skin in the game. They had a, a say in it. Even if even the people who you didn't use their ideas, they, they think to themselves, well, maybe next time he will. So now they got some incentive to make it happen. You know, it's interesting to to go back to your thought about the the three by five no card. It is interesting the extent to which I think strong practices of mindfulness can play into your ability to be a leader. Uh, this takes me way back when I was a consultant. I was probably working 100 plus hours a week. I would never fail, get to the end of Friday, and you're in the middle of the storm. Your, your brain is swirling, 
and I would go home for the weekend and I would come back on Monday morning and walk up to my desk. I think, I know I was really busy on Friday, but I have no idea what I do here. That that disjointedness over the weekend, right. every single weekend I would come back, I have no idea what I do. And so I started leaving myself a note and I had to be nice because I was leaving it right out on my desk where anybody could see it. But I started Friday me, would write Monday me a little note. Absolutely. And even if it gave me one concrete thing, you know, go respond to this person's email or check the numbers in, in that spreadsheet, it it gave you some sense of not only that mindfulness of thinking forward, but a little bit of connectivity over time because there's so much going on. And I'm the first person to admit that I can't remember things if I don't write them oh, down. Right? You absolutely. can't hold all this stuff in your head. <laughs> you know, and, and I think that, that, that that's just so walking into your office and having a plan of yeah. what you're going to do today. Again, it, you know, I, I always say, you know, the enemy always has a has a say. You can come up with the best plan you want, but that doesn't mean it's going to happen. Yeah. But at least you've got something to 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 change off of. You're not starting from scratch. And I think that certainly helps me every morning, I can tell you. Now, some people seem destined for leadership. They pursue it. It feels natural to them. Other people may be less. I mean, there are different kinds of leaders, right? There are quieter leaders versus more extroverted sure. leaders. If someone finds themselves in a leadership position and they're able to be effective, you know, maybe through being organized or mindful, but it doesn't necessarily feel like a natural role to them, do you have any advice about getting more comfortable with a leadership position that you may feel like you've been put in before you're ready inside your own mind and heart? Yeah, I, I, two things. I, I, said, I tell people, read about leadership. There's all kinds of stuff out there, some of it good, some of it bad, but you can learn just as much from something you disagree with as you can from something you agree with. So re never, you know, find a leadership book, leadership articles, bulletins, newsletters, and, and start listening and reading about leadership. And I always tell people, read autobiographies, because then not only do you learn what they did, but you learn why they did what they did. And those things will help you. Now, will you be in that exact same situation? No, but you might be similar, a similar situation, and you can draw on that, that person's experience. Learn from other leaders, good and bad. I mean, I've learned just as much from bad leaders as I have from good leaders. <laughs> yeah, put that on um, the don't do that list. <laughs> absolutely. You know, the hair on the back of your neck stands up. And you're like, yeah. Um, and then the, the third thing that I always tell people is find yourself a mentor. If nobody is stepping up to be your mentor, then go find one. I promise you there are people out there that would love to mentor you. And, and it doesn't even have to be in your profession. It can be somebody else. And it doesn't even have to be somebody that's above you. I can tell you I've had mentors in my life who were non-commissioned officers. I outranked them, but you know, they had 20, 30 years in the army yeah. in leadership positions. So I drew on their experience as well. So Oak, one of our traditions here on the Sourcing Hero podcast, it's sort of like an audio Rorschach test. I'm going to give you two questions and all of our guests go through this the very first time. You get to pick whichever question you want, and then there is no wrong answer. We've heard responses across the board. So <laughs> here are your two options. 
either what does the idea of a sourcing hero mean to you or what does heroism look like in a business context? Yeah, both of those are good questions. Um, I'm going to pick the first one. I, I think a sourcing hero, because sourcing is across the profession. Every Absolutely. profession needs people who, who can source things. And, you know, it, we're so dependent on on resources, on getting the, the hard product, product out yeah. once it's made, whatever that is. Um, so I think for me, it's that, that person that makes things happen, that no matter what, you know, they're, they're just like a bulldog, no matter what, they're going to make it happen, whether it's bringing something in or getting something out. So I think that that's really what, what is to me. I, I always use the analogy a lot. I use it a lot. It's not like baseball. I mean, life and business and everything else is not like baseball. It's not three strikes you're out. If you don't solve it the first time then pick, figure out another way to try it and another way to try it, another way to try it until it works. And that's what the heroes, and I think that they do, they, they, they don't give up. They keep working until they make it happen. Now, one more question I want to add, and I'll tell everybody listening in later. I'm, I'm putting Oak a little bit on the spot now, but I've been interviewing for enough years that I'm going to regret not asking him this question if I don't ask. You talked about reading autobiographies as a potential way to pick up either life lessons or leadership skills from other people. Are there any autobiographies that particularly resonated with you that you would offer up as examples, at least from your perspective, right? We're all looking for different things. But are there any autobiographies that jump out in your mind as being particularly good examples of the kind of thing you're talking about? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And two two pop into my mind. Um, And most people are absolutely shocked when I tell them they're my favorite leadership books because it has nothing to do with the military. Neither one of them were ever in the military. And it's, it's a, uh, first of all, the best leadership book I ever read was John Wooden on leadership. Famous basketball coach for uh, UCLA. And, and I tell people, one of the things that resonates with me is again, going back to a servant leader, he understood that he wasn't just there to build a great basketball team. Now, obviously he did that. They won six national championships in a row. So he did that, but he also understood that it was his job to be a mentor and to turn those young men that he had the privilege to coach into good young men, productive young men who were going to grow up to be husbands and fathers and grandfathers. And, and so I think that's my favorite book. And the second one, I'm going to date myself here, Lee Iacocca's uh, autobiography. Uh, because he was the same way. He, he knew that it wasn't just about him. It was about the organization that he had the privilege to lead. And it, and you figure out how he was, he managed to get that organization almost bankrupt into being very successful again. Um, so I, I think that they're both, they were both servant leaders and I, and that's what really resonates with me. So then we have a couple of homework assignments for people that are listening in. First of all, if you listen to this and you either take Oak's recommendations or have an autobiography you would like to share, please put down a note in the comments or or shoot us a note wherever you found this podcast to listen to it. Uh, but I'm also going to put some information about Oak's book on the, the episode page. And again, the title of that is Your Leadership Legacy, 
becoming the leader you were meant to be so that you can learn a little bit more about that. But Oak, if people listen to this conversation and they want to connect with you personally, what is the best way for them to get in touch? Yeah, so probably I, I have a website and it has my cell phone number on it and it has my email. And if you want to connect personally, then uh, generally I tell people just send me an email and we'll figure out a time that makes it, that we can make it work. And then I, I'm also on most of the social media. I'm, I'm on LinkedIn, which is what I use most of the time. And I believe that's how we it connect is. it. And uh, I got a YouTube channel that has some videos that I've done and some video clips of some of my presentations and other podcasts that I've been on. And then I'm on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Uh, so uh, not too hard to find me. There's not too many Oakland McCulloughs out there. <laughs> Excellent. Well, Oak, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much for sharing your time and your perspective. Well, thank you for having me, Kelly. I really have been looking forward to this and, and it was a It was fun. I enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Sourcing Hero podcast. Join us again next time for more true stories of sourcing and business heroism performed by your colleagues and peers. Look for the Sourcing Hero wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe. Finally, don't forget, sourcing heroism is taking place all around us every day. Keep your eyes open and you're bound to see it. Until next time, I'm your host, Kelly Barner. Stay well and always remember that you can be a hero too.